Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1. I'll be heading out right after the morning service. I want to make it to camp and time for the evening service down there, be with the kids. So Laura and I will be running out. She's not going to camp, but uh, she's got to help me get packed. So <laughs> we're going to be running out right after the morning service, be in prayer for us. We're really looking forward to it. We're taking a break from our study in Acts today because it is Camp Sunday, and I want to preach a message, how to pray for our young people, how to pray for our young people. Um, one of the things that was not said was our epic class is at Kings Island today, so our singles are there, and uh, then our teens are down at uh, camp. So I want to talk today about how to pray for these young people, how to pray for them. And uh, there are some that are in the room today. How do we pray? Man, this world is a mess. And it's almost like God knew that when he told us how to pray. So let's look at Colossians chapter 1. If you've been through our discipler training, you'll recognize some of this. But it's a little bit different application today. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9. So the Apostle Paul in the earlier part of the chapter is talking about how thankful he is for these Christians at Colossae. Verse 9, for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. And what does he pray for them? And to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye, might walk, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering and joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father who hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Lord, please help us as we talk about how to pray for these young people. And it is amazing to me how relevant these passages are still. In Jesus' name, amen. It's an interesting thing. If you look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 1, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, you know, we do live in the Laodicean church age. It's a time when when the, the love of many has waxed cold. We understand that, that there's a real lackadaisical spirit about everything. And Jesus Christ, speaking to the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, he said, you, I would that you were hot or cold, and because you are neither hot nor cold, I would I will spew thee out of my mouth. It, it, it's disgusting to him, the apathy of our age. Uh, not this week. This week I'm at camp. Next week I'll be speaking at a singles retreat in um, for for a church. And I was talking to the singles pastor at that church, and he's telling me what he wants me to cover. And it's interesting. Their theme verse is, "I will delight myself in Thy commandments, which I have loved." Isn't that fun? So I'll be doing some things from our Psalm 119 study there. But he is. He also said that we have a group of young people. They've been raised in church. But they're beginning to question whether God's word is true or not. Can I really trust the Bible? Can I really trust the Bible? Now, remember, we live 
How many of you have heard of the term postmodernism? Postmodernism. So in postmodernism, remember, modernism was there's no such thing as truth. There are no absolutes. That's modernism. All right? And modernism came in the 1800s. Now we live in postmodernism. So we're able to argue very effectively there's no such thing as truth. What are we supposed to say when someone says there's no such thing as truth? What do you ask them? Is that true? That's the easiest argument in the world to defeat because the person saying there's no such thing as truth is making a truth claim. It's a self-defeating argument like my mother had no children that lived or my brother is an only child. Those are self-defeating statements. So those are easy. What is So modernism, it's honestly, it's very easy to, to defeat those arguments. But what is postmodernism? Postmodernism is there's no such thing as truth. Is that true? Eh. I don't know. I don't care. Whatever. You can have your truth. I can have my truth. I just want you to be happy. How do you argue with that? How do you argue with, huh? Eh. Eh. No, my, my generation, here's what we want to do. Punch them in the face. Right? Don't do that. That's not the way to deal with it. But how many of you, honestly, the way that you were raised, if you acted like that to your dad, you're about to get smacked in the head. Right? This is an entire generation that's never had to face consequences. That's the world that we live in now. So how do we deal with it? Number one, we start praying for them. We start praying for them. And so let's, let's look at what this says. Verse 9. For this cause also, I'm sorry, for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. So number one, we got to pray all the time. We, th- this is a constant prayer. Be thinking of your children, your young people, the other young people in our church all the time. All the time. I have a picture of Silas, our grandson, on, our, on my phone. And I, every time that comes up, I, I pray for Silas. That I can't imagine growing up in this world. But you know, that's the way that our parents felt about the world we were growing up in. Exactly the same. It's so funny. As I get older, I can't stand the kids' music. Have you ever noticed there's, there's like three manly singers in Christian music? They all sing like this. Jesus is so good. Isn't, isn't Jesus wonderful? I can't take it, man. I just can't take it. I listen to Frank Sinatra or something now, you know? And I hated Frank Sinatra when I was a kid. It, 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 I guess it's just getting old. I, I don't know what's going on. Every generation says, man, what are our kids going to do? What are our kids going to do? You know what they're going to do? We're going to teach them to trust God, and God is going to take care of them. Amen? So we got to pray for them all the time, for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire. We, we've got some godly desires for our kids. And what is it? First of all, that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will. That you might be filled with the knowledge of his will. And this is where, honestly, modern Christianity has really let the kids down. Because, because of the influence of the charismatic movement, because of the influence of, of Pentecostal, second blessing of the Holy Spirit teaching. So it's the idea that you get saved and you get some of the Holy Spirit, but then as you are sanctified, you get more of the Holy Spirit. And so people are always praying for the filling of the Holy Spirit. God, show me your will. 
God, I, I need to know your will. What are you praying? Well, I'm praying for the will of God in this. I'm praying for the will of God in this. Well, the Bible tells us what the will of God is. You don't have to pray for the will of God. You have to obey the will of God. God's told us what it is. So let's just take a minute. Let's go through the scriptures so that you can know for sure how to pray for your kids that they can know the will of God. Verse 9 again, for this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the what? The knowledge of his will. You might be filled with the knowledge of his will. All right, so let's keep your, put your ribbon here in, in Colossians 1. Go to Galatians, back a couple of books, Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4. If you don't have a Bible, look under the chair in front of you. Galatians chapter 1, look at verse 3. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, look at what this says, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. God wants us to be, his will is that we all be delivered from this present evil world, that we all be delivered. Now, ultimately, we'll be delivered from it either when we die or when the rapture takes place, right? We're going to be taken from this evil world, but he is going to keep us in this evil world. He's saving us from sin, and he's keeping us from sin in the world. That's God's will. God's will is that we not be worldly. God's will is that we not be infected and affected by this evil world, that he might deliver us from this present evil world. That's God's will. Look at Colossians 4. Colossians 4 and verse 12. What is God's will? Be filled. Pray that they'll be filled with the knowledge of his will. Colossians 4, look at verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you always, laboring fervently for you in prayers. What's he praying for? That ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. In all the will of God. So all of these different aspects of the will of God that we're going to be looking at over these next few minutes, that's God's will. God's will is that you're right in all of these things. The first, that you're delivered from the present evil world. The second, as you can see here, that you know all of it, that you stand perfect in all of it, perfect and complete in all the will of God. Look at Romans 15. This is one of my favorites. Romans 15. Look at verse 32. Look at verse 30 for the context. Paul is, is asking the people at Rome to pray for him. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. So Paul's praying for Paul, and he's asking the church at Rome to pray for Paul. That I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. So he wants to be alive, right? So that he can do God's work. And that my service, which I have for Jerusalem, may be accepted of the saints. That I may come unto you, look at what it says, with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. What's, his, what's God's will? That I may come to you with joy by the will of God. Man, the ministry was hard, but Paul didn't want to lose his joy in the fight. 
So what's God's will? That in the middle of all of this mess, this train wreck of a world that we live in, as Jordan Peterson calls it, the tragedy in the tragedy of life, in the catastrophe of life, that as we minister to people, that we can minister to them in joy, with joy. Do you know what my desire for our young people is? Is that they be filled with joy. That when the world looks at these young people right here, that they see happy kids, not surly kids. You ever said hi to a kid? Hello. Mom and dad, if somebody says hi to your child and your child goes, you can fix that. If you're not sure how, come see Laura. She will instruct you in the poon. We spanked our kids with a spoon, long spoon. You know, the Bible talks about using a rod. So we used a spoon. And we'd tell Jacob, go get the spoon. Isn't that the terrible thing to do? Go get the, the, the instrument of their own torture. They have to go get it. Not the poon. Not the poon. So we called it the poon. Listen, if you want your children to be joyful, don't allow them to be surly. Be honest. Adults, how many of you surly teenagers, they get on your nerves? You can fix that. But it starts when they're little. It's Amen? So this is so important. How can our kids have joy if we allow them to be miserable? Boy, how many of you ever heard this from your parents? Do you want to be miserable? If you think life's hard? I can make your life hard. <laughs> Amen? So... But that's not the only thing. I want young people to understand the joy of living the Christian life. Like I say to the young people all the time, I want you to have my life. Life is awesome. I love what I get to do. I love my wife. I love my family. I sometimes love my son. Really important that we get this. It's God's will that we have joy. It's God's will that we serve him with joy. So if your Christian service is drudgery, that you are not doing it the right way. Amen? All right. That doesn't mean that sometimes God wants you to do something that's hard and that you don't enjoy. I talked in Sunday school. I don't enjoy administration, but if I'm going to be a pastor, I've got to be an administrator, right? And so I've got to do that with joy. I've got to find a way to love it. Pray for me. Then look at what it says. Go to 2 Corinthians 8, 5. Obviously, we could spend a lot more time on these. 2 Corinthians 8, 5. God's will that you might be filled with the knowledge of God's will. All right, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit, to know, to be, to be knowledgeable of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their... huh. What's that word? Joy and their deep poverty. How many of you don't generally put joy and poverty in the same thought? Okay. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. So these, these poor believers in Macedonia had taken up offerings. 
and they had given beyond what was reasonable. A man I'll never forget, I was in Chicago, I was in college, I was downtown, and, you know, back then you might have two or three bucks in your pocket, right? So I just spent all my money at McDonald's. Only a foolish person goes to Chicago with no money left, but that was me as a young man. We lived near there. And this homeless lady came by, she had her, her cart, and she wanted some money for some for a burger or something. I had just come out of McDonald's. And I said, I'm sorry, I, I don't have anything. I don't have any money at all. And she got this this look on her face like she was so sad for me. And she rummaged around in her cart and pulled out this old loaf of bread and broke off half of it and handed it to me. How do you think I felt right then? I said, it's okay, there's food at home. You, you, keep, you keep your food. What was she doing? She was giving to me out of her poverty. That's what the believers in Macedonia were doing. Now look at God's will in this. Verse 5, and this they did not as we hoped. No, they, he wanted an offering. That's what they had hoped for was an offering. All right? And this they did not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. See, before we give our stuff, we're supposed to give ourselves. That's biblical charity. But, the, but before you can give yourself or your money to others, you're supposed to first give it to God. And that's why when the Bible says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all, all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, it's not the other way around. You don't know how to love your neighbor until you love God. Right? And you don't know how to do that until you read the previous verse in Mark 12. It says, Hear, O Lord Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, he is one Lord. Until you have heard God from his word, you don't know how to give yourself to him and love him, and then you certainly don't know how to love your neighbor. And so what is God's will? Verse 5, and this they did not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. So what is God's will? God's will is that we give ourselves to the Lord and then to each other. And then, remember, as you have opportunity, do good unto all men, but especially to those that are the, of the household of faith. We're to give ourselves to God's work. That's God's will. All right, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Y'all doing okay this morning? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look at verse 18. Here's God's will. I need this desperately. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Oh, man, how many of you need to be reminded of that? Lord, thank you for President Biden. Is President Biden part of everything? Thank you for the rain. Thank, thank you, Lord. Thank In everything give thanks. That's God's will. We need to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave unto you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. All right, so you're going to be filled with the knowledge of God's will? God, show me your will. Show me your will. Just read it. I wrote it down. Read it. 
Okay? For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. What is this word sanctification? Sanctification is where God sets you apart for his service. So think about this. When, ladies, you're getting ready to make a pie, and you get your apples, and you got some good apples and some bad apples, and you're sorting through them, and you, this, this apple's good, this apple's good, this apple's good, this apple's good. What are you doing? You're setting those aside for a special purpose. That's what sanctification is, okay? It's God said, everybody listening? Everybody listening? It's setting you apart for something special, okay? This is, your, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. You're being set apart by God. This is his will. What is his will on that? Look at what it says. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. How do you pray for your kids? Pray that your kids can stay pure. That's God's will for your kids. Now, a good way to help them stay pure is be careful what they're watching on television. Make sure that if they have a cell phone or a computer, that you have access to everything that they're seeing. And that it's hard for us to understand the world of debauchery that is in front of our kids every day. How many of you want your kids to stay pure? I'll tell you this, that as a young man, my parents gave me the gift of innocence, and that protected me in so many different situations because I didn't know what was going on around me. Praise God for that. We live in a time where Christians want their kids to be knowledgeable of evil. That's wicked. That is wicked. Another way that you can do it is don't let your kids be alone with members of the opposite sex. Sometimes we forget about this thing called hormones. Listen, I'm just telling you, you, you parents need to remember what it's like for a young man. You parents who have daughters need to help your daughters to put clothes on to protect the young men. Can, can I say that again? You parents with daughters need to help your daughters to keep clothes on to protect the young men, which will then protect your daughter. Right? And here's the problem. Mom says, I think that's cute. And dad has to avert his eyes because he doesn't want to see that part of his daughter. And yet he still lets her walk out of the house. And if dad says something, you know, I don't think that's appropriate. Mom says, I think that's cute. You know what dad needs to say? I don't care what you think. She's not wearing it. Then mom and dad need to go and have a conversation. Okay, guys, look at your wives to ask her if it's okay for you to say amen right there. <laughs> Jim and Deb just did that. It was awesome. Dad beat him to it. It's okay to say amen. <laughs> That is awesome. Listen, listen, I'm not standing up here being a tough guy. I'm thankful that I've got a wife that cared about these things. How are we going to keep our kids pure? You know, when I, when I think about what these kids go through now, it's got to be a spiritual thing. Can we pray for that? How many think it's a good idea for us to pray for our kids on this? Let's pray because it's God's will. Why? Look at, look at verse 4 that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. See, the purity thing, it really is a young man thing. It's a young man thing. How is it a young lady thing? Young lady needs to know the most powerful word in the English language, no. Amen? And parents, protect your kids. Protect them. We need holy 
children. Go back to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. Verse 9, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So now let me just, I just want to make a comment right here. I don't know if I said it in here or in the discipler meeting. I have neglected, because our children are grown, I've neglected to be constantly talking about child rearing, to be constantly reminding you that your job is to protect your children by number, the Bible says, children obey your parents in the Lord, or that, that their days may be well with you, and that your days may be long upon the earth. So when, when your children, when you're in a battle with your children over obedience, you are in a fight for their lives. How many of you believe the Bible? That's what you are in. And this obedience and disobedience thing, um, some of you moms, you argue with your daughters. You argue with your children. There should never be an argument with a child. You say what's going to happen, and then that happens. Why? Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. What provokes a child to wrath is inconsistency more than anything else because you allow a behavior, you allow a behavior, you allow a behavior, and then you get mad and come down on that behavior. Or you lie to your child. Lincoln, if you do that one more time, how many of you parents have ever heard that? I told you, if you do it one more time, so you'd better not do it another time. Well, you just lied to them. Because they did it one more time and there was no punishment. They do not trust your word. Can your kids trust you? See, if they can't trust you when they're six, why would they trust you when they're 16? I'm just telling you, you go out with those friends, those friends that you've made, they're going to they're gonna mess you up. They're going to get you to be where you're living in a van down by the river. I mean, these are not the kinds of friends that you want to have. They don't believe you. Because you lied to them when they were little. See, if we're going to teach our children how to walk, look, look at the next verse, verse 10, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Well, then we need to establish for our young people very early that there are consequences for bad behavior. There are consequences for bad behavior unto all pleasing. When they please you, compliment them. When they please you, reward them for that. Talk to them about the things that please God. The Bible talks about behaviors that please God. When they please God, talk about that and pray for them. Being fruitful unto every good work. Remember one time our kids were picking up, we, we call them hedge apples, these ugly green things, you know. And they, they'd they fall down next to the driveway. And they were, I don't know, five or six, and they're out there picking up the hedge apples, hauling them up into the woods. And Nathan Brynack stopped by. He goes, oh, that's cute. You paying them a nickel apiece or something? I said, no, they get to live here. Amen? Listen, really important. Teach your kids to work. Teach them to be productive. 
to be fruitful unto every good work. Now, this is in the spiritual context. So what does that mean? Teach your children to work for the Lord. Teach them to be fruitful in the Lord's work. And God's plan for this age is for that to happen through the New Testament church. Get your kids involved in camp. Get your kids involved in the youth group. Get your kids involved in the fair ministry. Get your kids involved in ministry. We provide opportunities. You get them there, listen, with joy. (laughs) Can't tell you how many times my dad said, you're going to do it and you're going to like it. Look at what it says. Isn't it amazing how practical the Bible is? And increasing in the knowledge of God. Our kids need to know God. Our kids need to know God's word. When I when my kids were little, one of the things that I struggle with, I don't, I don't talk to kids very well. I couldn't talk to kids when I was one. And so if I was going to talk to the kids, I'd talk about stuff I was interested in. So, you know, we'd be on vacation, I'd sit down and I'd teach him the seven dispensations, right? We'd be talking about the Bible and all of those things. And one time Lydia was in college, she had a friend, she went to Bible college, she had a friend who had just finished a class on dispensationalism, and the little girl said, I don't even understand this. Her dad was the teacher. He said, I don't even understand this. And so Lydia sat down and wrote out the seven dispensations for her and taught her the seven dispensations. Why? Because dad didn't know how to talk to her, and I told her, taught her the seven dispensations. Talk about the stuff you're interested in. I can imagine Dan teaching his boys about welding. <laughs> talk about the stuff that you're interested in. Amen? And I'm just telling you, just talking to them, being with them, giving them joy, teaching them the joy of serving God, the knowledge of God. Verse 11, here's my prayer for them. That they're strong, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Unto all patience and long suffering. Where's look at this word again? With joyfulness. How many of you think God maybe doesn't like surliness? Have y'all read the book of Exodus at all? <laughs> doesn't like grumbling, doesn't like murmuring, doesn't like mumbling. Like uh Willy Wonka, mumbler, <laughs> mumbler. And and this is where it always wraps up. Honestly, the will of God, it always wraps up right here. Verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. We're part of a, we, we are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. We have an inheritance that's so much greater than anything the world could ever give us. It's, it's amazing. If we raise our children to know the Lord Jesus Christ and where they trust Christ as Savior, we are giving them an inheritance that's so much greater than any stuff that I could ever give them. But of the saints in light. This world is darkness. This world is darkness. We're supposed to be light in the world. And look at what it says in verse 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now notice what it says hath delivered, past tense, from the power of darkness, and hath translated, it's already happened, us, into the kingdom of his dear son. Listen, we're already baptized by the Holy Spirit into Christ's body. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places. We already have our eternal hope. Let's teach our children how to be strong and patient and long-suffering and joyful in this world. We teach them and pray for it. So what are we going to... Do with the kids at camp this week. 
when they grumble, they'll be corrected. I told the kids a minute ago, Ty had me come and pray with the kids before they got on the vans. And I said, you will have as much fun as you allow yourself to have. Because the adults have made this an amazing, special week for you. You choose your attitude. You choose whether or not you're joyful. Amen, parents? And you know what? That's how we need to pray for them. And if you get home, your kids come home, and the director, one of the leaders, comes to you and says, you know what? Your child was a real problem this week. Your child's got an attitude problem. I can't believe you talk about my child that way. That's what's wrong with this church. So judgmental. Man, you know what's supposed to be the way it used to be? If you got in trouble at school, you got in trouble double at home. Right? Man, I'm done. I'll tell you this one story. I was in seventh grade, and I lived in Connecticut, and it was against the law to have firecrackers in Connecticut. But a buddy of mine had gone someplace where it was legal, and I bought a brick of firecrackers from this friend. And because I'm a genius, I took him to school. So I had my jeans on, and I had a pack of firecrackers sticking out of my back pocket. So we're working on some project. I was up kneeling on a chair, leaning over, looking at something. And my teacher walks up and goes, mm, Mr. Alter, what's this? Took the firecrackers out. And so I go to the office. And, of course, this is in the middle of our Bible conference. Dad's got a guest speaker there. I'm sitting in the, the school office, and I'll never forget this phone call. Reverend Alter, can you come pick up your son? How many of you think dad was happy with me at that particular moment? So I get home, sitting on the, you know, I'm mowing the lawn, and dad wouldn't let me sit down. I, I, I was working. And Bob Adrian, the guest speaker, comes in. Jimmy, why aren't you in school? Because I'm an idiot. I don't remember what I said. But I know this. Whatever happened at school, I didn't need firecrackers to be lit up (laughs) at that point. We were raised to understand consequences. Now, I still was a young man and young men, sorry guys, are all idiots. You are young, skulls full of mush. And you need parents to help mold that into something useful. Right? Yes. We need to pray for them. And we need to understand that everything that the world is doing is completely the opposite of what we just read in the Bible. Everything that these young people at camp are going through when they go back to school, when they watch TV, when they listen to music, the entire world is against everything that I just said. We need to pray. Amen? And then we as parents, we need some courage. We need some courage. If the school doesn't like what we're doing, hang the school. Right? If the county doesn't like what we're doing, hang the county. These are my kids. Remember, it takes a village to raise a child. Yeah, it takes a village to raise a village idiot. It takes a parent to raise a child. It takes two parents 
Now, if we have some single families in here, single moms, I can't imagine how hard your job is. But God's plan is for a husband and wife to raise these kids. Amen? And again, we can't apologize for that. This is what we need. Dads be dads. Right? Your daughter wants to leave the house in something that's inappropriate. She's not leaving. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. If mom doesn't like it, dad, you got to put your foot down. you got to take care of it. But moms, come on, protect your daughters. Protect these young men. Uh, I heard a preacher, Sam Miles in Kansas City. Some of you guys know who he is. He he told his, uh, the ladies in his church, have mercy. Have mercy on these young men. Amen? Let's pray for these kids. Now, don't we have a great group of young people? I'm so thankful that when they grow up and that, you know, they're out of high school and they're out in their career to see guys like Luke and and his soon-to-be bride, to see them here in church and wanting to serve God. It's wonderful to see that. Amen? We are, you parents are doing it. I mean, your kids are serving God. You're here. They're here. We got another generation that we need to have that happen with. Amen? Let's do it. Man, I love seeing Nathan and Kayla serving God here. How old were you when you started coming? Five, six? Five years old. You know, just a child in the in the service. And now little Ben is growing up in church and getting evil looks from his mother already. Isn't God good to us? Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, help us to pray for our young people. Lord, they need to be filled with the knowledge of your will. But that's not some mysterious, mystical thing. You've told us exactly what it is.